Dr. Jelani, Senior Technical Advisor at the International Rescue Committee, where she leads their emergency health responses globally. She's recently joined an emergency team of doctors from IRC and Medical Aid for Palestinians who went to central Gaza to volunteer in the Al-Aqsa Hospital. And that does it for today's show. I'm Narmeen Sheikh with Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us. State Department of Transportation presents How to Navigate a Roundabout. The sign Roundabout Ahead means be alert. Look for the directional sign to determine which lane to be in. Check pavement markings to confirm you're in the correct lane. Always watch for and always yield to pedestrians at the crosswalks before entering the roundabout. Enter the roundabout carefully, yielding to oncoming traffic, then proceed counterclockwise. Don't change lanes in the roundabout. Watch the signs to find your exit. Always watch for and always yield to pedestrians at the crosswalks then safely exit the roundabout. That's right. We can't say enough good things about roundabouts here. Uh, it's WUSB Stony Brook, broadcasting at 90.1 FM, 107.3 FM. Do we get any more frequencies? Not this week. Okay. And... Uh, over the internet, WUSB.FM. It's currently 6 o'clock and change time once again on this Tuesday evening for another edition of Off the Wall.
And welcome to another exciting edition of Off the Wall. Emmanuel Goldstein here with you on this Tuesday evening, joined tonight by Kyle. Hello. How you doing? I'm okay. How you are you? I realize in, in less than a year, we're going to have to change the theme. The theme changes with every new presidential election. I know. I, or, that's occurred to me. Or inauguration or what have you. Oh, it's good that you mention it, though. Yeah, I, I just realized that. So we got to get cracking on finding... Um, well, actually, you know... we got to audition them. It depends. It's, this mostly will be taken up in the latter half of 2024. But we have a committee that basically decides what the next theme will be, depending on what happens in the election. So obviously a Trump presidency will have different music than a Biden uh, a second term, um, as would um, other candidates if they were to somehow be elected. So, yeah, so it's a lot of work, a lot of work ahead of us. So it's just something to think of. So appreciate this theme while you can, because it's not going to be around forever. You can suggest things, otw at 2600.com. As, that is as, if as you long know. As long as it's, it's, the, it's composed by Philip Glass. I was just going to say, yeah. as long as you know the criteria, we don't have to get into that. If you know, you know. But otherwise, right. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be thinking about that, as will you. But It's not much to ask for. The piece just has to be written and preferably performed by Philip Glass. There was a four-year period where we had a Philip Glass piece that was not performed by Philip Glass. And we got a lot of letters from confused people about that. So uh, that was a one-time thing. Right. But, you know, that's, that's the future. That's the future. Who knows? We might not even get there. You know, the whole world could be destroyed by then. Okay, that's really... Didn't we talk I, about I, the I, other way we were going to have... Yeah, I know. I, know. Our I just had the news on before. ...inner thoughts on the show let's go. No, let's go back to traffic uh, uh, roundabouts. Okay. Uh, or traffic I like that PSA that you It's played. a good PSA. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're... Very strong. They're wonderful things to have. I don't know if people realize uh, they they exist. Uh, come to campus, the Stony Brook campus. There's a wonderful little roundabout there, uh, but there there are other ones. There are a couple out in Riverhead. There's I shouldn't be able to list them all in my head. They, they should be there should be so many that I can't possibly think of where they all are. But basically, you know, it's it's in lieu of a traffic light in in most cases. Although Americans have figured out how to put traffic lights in roundabouts, which I think is kind of silly, um, but they're just so much safer. And I, I think there's, there's a town in Indiana, I believe, where the mayor has gotten completely um, uh, entranced by, uh, by roundabouts and has, has replaced traffic light intersections with them all over the place. And the amount of traffic accidents has, has plummeted, has gone way down. And um, this includes pedestrians, bicyclists. And the reason, if you think about it, if you think about it, at a traffic circle or roundabout, whichever you want to call it, um, cars are not going as fast as they are going through a regular intersection with a green light. So if you do have some kind of altercation with another vehicle, it's not at high speed. And if somebody is crossing the street, well, you're already going slow. So if, if, if you know, there is some kind of um, collision there, it won't be as deadly. And it just, it, it makes so much more sense. And it just, it keeps traffic moving, but it basically is so much safer. Yeah, and the ideas and just looking at the numbers behind it, it's it's pretty amazing that there aren't more, as you said, around the country and in people's locales. I think everybody does change modes when they encounter one on the road as a driver, mm -hmm. depending on your experience level, of course. We've seen it in, in England and, and other parts of the world. If we can handle it in England driving. And, and driving the other direction, well, 
the other side of the road. <laughs> I, I think it's it, it's pretty easy for us to handle them here. Exactly, and it's so practical in rural areas and far-flung parts of the countryside, um, which there is an abundance of that in, in this country. And if you think about it, it works without power. <laughs> you have to pay for traffic lights, you know. They cost a they lot cost to maintain. They cost money. Electricity, upgrades, replacement. You know, with, with, with a traffic circle, you don't have anything to replace. Think about it. They, they put cameras in now at a lot of these intersections to monitor the accidents and all the activity and, and things they expect at that intersection um, because it's, I guess, frequent enough and of, of enough concern. And But with sound sort of civil engineering, you can kind of maybe take a lot of that action off the table, and, and it, it, it just is a different way of thinking. You know what it is, Kyle? It's I don't know what anything pro, is. Pro-accident lobby that oh, has prevented it. Way. I just assume out there somewhere there's a pro-accident lobby that's backed by Republicans, and they brought more traffic accidents and more collisions because somebody benefits somehow by that. I am so cynical now that I believe that actually exists, because every time I see a good idea <laughs> it's it's being defeated by Republicans someplace who say it's a bad idea because it doesn't pollute enough. Or, or so. There was actually an article, I think it was in USA Today, today. It's always awkward saying that. Today's USA Today, is that any better? Um, there was an article about how more green plants, meaning um, uh, wind and uh, solar plants, are being banned than being allowed. <laughs> so... You have these counties and neighborhoods that, that don't want green power. They don't want windmills or wind turbines. They don't want uh, solar panels. They're actually banning them at a rate that is now higher than the amount that are being permitted. Only in America could we manage to be so stupid. But, yeah, there is a lobby to prevent green power. Believe it or not, that is what's happening. So, yeah, maybe I'm not so cynical. Maybe I'm just... A realist. Yeah. I hate calling myself that. I really do. Well, the, I don't know, the the, the label it itself isn't so important as the observations and people's awareness and just the overall, um, the overall um, information, I guess, uh, um, uh, knowledge around these different platforms and their levels and generations of development mm -hmm. you it, you really have to get into what each technology's uh, benefits and and some of their downsides are and the scales and timelines and costs um, what the use like how how that energy will be used all of those types of things have very specific um, Aspects, details, a lot, a lot of that has been, you know, effort goes into surveying, finding out good locations and what the communities impacted will say. And all of that stuff matters. You can't really just distill it into the kinds of um, sound bites these campaigns would, m might like us to, um, to digest mm -hmm. w without a, a thought. But it, it's, it's truly, I, I don't know, it's, it's a slow process. There are a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of different innovations coming online and, and things being phased out all at the same time. Right. I think it's a, an incredibly exciting time because 
There's a lot of legacy systems and, and newer things. It can be exciting. It can be beneficial. It can be a really positive people, thing. People seeing it as a threat at, based on, I would say, bias or otherwise wrong information or lack thereof well, that's the is thing. the problem. There, uh, I don't know. Is this called astroturfing? It's, it's, it's when um, the people who want things to stay the way they are, i.e. dirty and polluting, are basically throwing these concerns at us, saying, oh, look, the wind turbine is going to kill birds, uh, you know, or it's somehow going to kill whales. I've heard that. Uh, or um, uh, basically, um, I don't know, solar power causes cancer, or all sorts of ridiculous things that have been proven over and over again not to have any ounce of truth in them. Uh, but um, they're silent when it comes to all the menaces that come from an oil plant or or from coal or their or their downstream products like pesticides and yeah. and uh, chemical sector uh, contamination and spills and leaks and and, and other uh, environmental waste that we're we're surrounded in. I mean, look look at the cancer statistics. I mean, th- there's plenty to be concerned about, and mm-hmm. that's the stuff that they're not shouting and screaming No, they're quiet. Projects. When it comes to that, they're absolutely quiet. Or train spills. But they, know, they, they use the concern that people have about that kind of thing uh, to get their way, and um, I just wish we were a bit more savvy and could call them on it and say, you know what, uh, you're being a hypocrite here because you don't talk about uh, this particular hazard when it relates to what it is that you're in favor of, only when it in some way relates to what you're opposed to. And why are you opposed to it? Because it means less money for you. That's basically what it comes down well, to. Well, and they have a lot to throw around. The thing they don't have is the numbers, and, and there's a lot of, um, I, I would say, let's say, let's say purchasing power or um, uh, wealth in the amount of people that may not be activated but are pretty fired up about how this is affecting them. And, and people they love. So we can't discount our own numbers, sheer numbers. It's just something they can't throw around in the same way. They're trying to with these campaigns, but it's, it's, uh, it's glaring and it just really lacks the credibility that the, the wider public has an understanding of. They just have to uh, wield that through their political action and, and uh, representatives, which I hope, you know, there's a lot of pressure and letters and, and analysis being done to, uh, stand in, in uh, contrast to those campaigns. Well, you know, to me, um, uh, green power is um, an easy, it's an easy conversation to have because it's, it's really, um, it's hard to win an argument where what you're um, proposing uh, is, is um, basically so much better for the environment and um, in the end beneficial for everybody, it creates more jobs, and um, just makes everything more pleasant as opposed to the way it has been. It gets a little bit more complicated when you're talking about things like congestion pricing, uh, which I know we are in the minority uh, in Long Island, and not for the first time, in supporting, because most people on Long Island don't support congestion pricing, which is basically charging 15 bucks to um, drive your car into Manhattan during the, uh, the day, I believe. Uh, in fact, there was an article uh, in Newsday a couple of days ago Listen to this headline. Congestion pricing could add to morning commute times into Manhattan, offsetting benefits for Long Island drivers. So right away, Newsday is, is, is basically throwing doubt into the whole thing. It's going to add time. First of all, how does it add time? You know how they got there? It adds time because, stay with me here, the Midtown Tunnel charges money to, to uh, go under the, uh, under the river, under the East River, whereas the Queensboro Bridge and the Williamsburg Bridge do not. So... 
here's the thing. The $15 fee that will be charged for everybody going into Manhattan by car, um, well, if you're going through the tunnel, you'll get a $5 credit because you're already paying a toll there. So the, the thinking is that more people are going to flock to the tunnel now to get that $5 credit <laughs> instead of going to the bridges where they'll just have to pay a flat $15. I don't understand the logic. I don't think people are going to be driving an hour out of their way to save $3. Uh, but who knows? But even if that were the case, really, is, is, that, is that does that justify a huge story about how, well, maybe this isn't such a good idea? When we're talking about, uh, what is it, a billion dollars that will be raised as a result of this for, for mass transit? And mass transit is a pretty good thing. You know, it's, it, it's really good to have uh, the ability to get around without having to drive your car everywhere and pollute the streets and, and, and do God knows, you know, what else uh, damaging to the environment. Yeah, the MTA expects this, it'll generate $1 billion annually in toll revenue. And um, there's a 4,000-page environmental assessment that was approved uh, by federal regulators last June as one of the final hurdles to implement the first-in-the-nation tolling plan um, they found it's expected to reduce traffic by as much as 20% in Manhattan. There's your headline, Newsday. That's the headline, 20% less cars in Manhattan. How is that a bad thing? And also, you know, the flip side to this, um, people will be, since people have already paid the toll to go into the city, when they're leaving, there'll be less cars going through the Midtown Tunnel. So it all gets offset one way or another, but... The upshot is there are less cars in Manhattan. And when you get there, you know, if you are driving, uh, you'll have an easier time of it getting around. But also, if you're not driving, it'll be far more pleasant just uh, not having cars everywhere. And a billion dollars for mass transit, which, you know, I, I guess there are people who are against mass transit, too, you know, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um you find something good that will benefit everybody. And it will benefit everybody because we're talking... How many cars go through the the Midtown Tunnel? Maybe you could say something while I'm uh, looking at that number, Kyle. I Okay, I got the number. Never mind. 2,672 cars go through the Midtown Tunnel between 8 and 9 a.m. Um, each um, each weekday. 2,672, that's, you know, there's a few million people around. They all benefit by having more mass transit, better mass transit. 2,672 cars have to pay $15. Is that what we're so upset about? That's a fairly, you know, that's that's a Mets crowd. Oh, that's nasty. No, that's, maybe it's a Seawolves crowd. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a lot of people. It's not that many people. And it's a lot of money that gets raised as a result. Yeah, and the, think of all the systems that will benefit. I mean, having them, and and in contrast to this, having underfunded them, what they would be or um, what they would be lacking, a lot of these upgrades and just maintaining all this stuff, it's so noticeable. You have places that um, are safer, that uh, have improvements, are better connected, have um, amenities that are functional. All of that is really crucial to the overall experience. And um, 
the the sort of well-being of of our wider society and and enabling people to get around. So and that's the point of it. Uh not cramming so many cars in in some sort of free for all uh of of um pollutants and sort of uh, emitting gases and and stuff into into the urban environment. That's it what it's really about. really doesn't have a lot to uh supplant that other than Central Park. So I mean <laughs> we we should be so happy that we're thinking much more conscientiously about our spaces. Now, this, this other part of the story, which kind of bugged me, uh, they did a study about how many miles less people would be driving as a result of this. And they say, overall, the average number of miles driven by NASA and Suffolk motorists would fall by 0.1%. 0.1%. Less than any of the other areas studied, including New York City, which is 0.6%. Upstate New York, 0.4%. New Jersey, 0.2%. Or Connecticut, also 0.2%. So um, a key takeaway from that, um, you know, from, from the impact on NASA and Suffolk residents, should be that there are very few Long Island drivers who do this. In fact, they say of the 98,000 NASA and Suffolk residents who commute into Manhattan, 20,000 do so by car. That's a fraction. That's a fraction. It is pretty small. That's a lot more people taking the train. So, uh, basically, um, um, one of the um, uh, proponents uh, says, we're always talking about them, that's 20,000, instead of the 80-plus percent that take mass transit who are going to benefit from this tremendously. But you got an assemblyman named Ed Ra, a Republican from Rockville Center. Guess, guess what he says about this. says the Environmental Review's findings reinforce what he's long believed that the plan has less to do with reducing congestion than it does raising funds for the MTA. Listen, Ed. By raising funds for the MTA, you are reducing congestion because you have more trains, you have more access, you have less people on the road. And if there are less people driving from the start, then what's the problem with that? You know, either way, you're getting better mass transit. How is this a bad thing? You know, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> this guy is upset that the MTA is raising money by having this, this, this fee, but it doesn't affect that many people on Long Island. So what are you complaining about? <laughs> Not that many people are going to be adversely affected, but you're going to get all the benefits. <sighs> I just don't get it. How do people find themselves opposed to progress, to things that are um, that are good for everybody. Less cars, more transit, but 72% of Long Island voters are opposed to this. 72%. Probably because they've been misinformed. You know, it, it, this has been derided by Republican Long Island lawmakers, including his congressional delegation, and of course our two county executives, who are both now Republican. But New Yorkers will have an opportunity to sound off on the plan at a series of virtual public hearings beginning on Leap Day, February 29th. We should be there, Kyle. We should go to that virtual public hearing and say something, you know, good about this because it's, it's just going to get all these ill-informed attacks. I, well, I just think the interests of those commuters might be swayed if you really broke down the costs. Because if you think about their just the fuel costs alone, like what 
I know. There must be an enormous savings and then o- overall maintenance on your vehicle. Um, I don't know if it's if it's commercial and, and for small business or other enterprise, that's, that may be you have other concerns. But the average household, to buy gas um, at you know maybe a range of price points you could figure out, it is probably quite costly then being incentivized towards these better and, and um, um, burgeoning alternatives, the, the sort of uh, revitalized transit system that was in turn also being funded by this. I, I don't know. There is a lot of there's a lot of wind to this uh, in in different respects in, in, in areas where where just people benefit. Now, you know, one thing I could see uh, being a negative is is basically everybody crowding onto these trains, being packed in like sardines, and uh, having a very unpleasant time of it. Well, do you know, Kyle, what the um, uh, ridership capacity is during rush hour for the Long Island Railroad? No. Do you care to guess? or I care, yes. <laughs> Are you going to guess or not? Is, I don't know how to say it. Like what rate? A fifty thousand? No, a percentage. Per, is it oh. like ninety nine percent full? Ninety eight percent full? I'm going to say one hundred and two percent. Thirty five percent capacity. Well, no, you're close. Forty seven percent capacity. Okay. During the morning rush, not even half. There is so much room on it's these close. trains already. Oh my! I mean, can you imagine if they pour more money into this? What they could do? They could finally start electrifying out to Port Jefferson. Is that not a good thing? You know. They're talking about bringing Amtrak to Ronkonkoma. That sounds cool. You know, all sorts of possibilities. Maybe that's what Long Islanders feel like. They feel like a little neglected. They want more of those options now instead of waiting well, you and know all what? the promises. You know what, Long Islanders? And they're going to keep driving into the city until people hear them. This is a tax on the people who drive into the city. You're getting the benefits, but you're not paying any extra tax at all. You're not paying any tax. So <laughs> there you go. You know, only tax the people who, who um, uh, continue to, um, to use this particular um, uh, route into the city that is overcrowded. So pay extra for that or do something else. You know, it's a choice as opposed to a, a, a tax on all people, which is not a choice. Which, by the way, the new Suffolk County Republican uh, County Executive Already introducing new taxes. Yeah, think about that. New sales taxes. I, I just read it in the paper yesterday. Wow. Yeah, you don't hear about that, though. If a Democrat did that, it would be all over the place. <sighs> They'd have a nickname. <laughs> so, uh, what happened today? Donald Trump lost an appeal again. Uh, he's um, he, he, he's not immune from being prosecuted. Okay, so is this over yet? Or, uh, what, goes to the Supreme Court now? When does this end? When is it? When does he actually... You know, get held accountable and, and, and sentenced to something. I'm I'm I've accepted that it just won't. There's no finality. I'm not or it's down to the, the last minute or something. I, I don't know what what this is. And okay. my like I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to sound negative, but I'm I'm very, very like skeptical of how the process has played out that we're letting it play out the way we are. I don't understand that's the thing. how fair this is. We're letting it play out. Silly. You know, if, if it was the other side, in fact, it is the other side. The other side is threatening violence if he gets convicted, if he gets prevented from being on the ballot. Whereas the side that I, I, I believe we're on, 
It's basically saying, well, let the system play out. Let's see what happens. And, you know, I, I agree with that, but sometimes I want to speak louder. Sometimes I want to be a bit more forceful and say, you better get this right. This is our democracy you're messing with. All right. So if the Supreme Court suddenly sides with Trump and says, oh, you're good. Don't worry about it. You, know, you put us in, in office here, you know, so uh, we'll do whatever you want. Yeah, we can't just accept that. OK, we can't just say that's OK. That's the way the system works. No. And if, if, if Trump somehow gets elected again and just makes all of these uh, court cases go away, that's not cool either. And we need to speak up and be loud and obnoxious and get in the way of every single part of 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 that particular government to stop that, because that is not right either. Not the same thing as 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 what we're seeing from Republicans. Whenever they don't get their way, they threaten violence and mayhem in the street and all that. Um, but we also need to be loud, forceful and um, a bit obstinate. Well, and I think I'm in this. I've been in that same kind of space uh, as far as planning ahead and ignoring really what the outcome is in November because it's already been promised by Trump and his campaign of, uh, of followers that either way they're going to be unhappy and act out. Now, <laughs> there's, way, yes. there's plenty of evidence that some of these campaigns do not have as much actual support um, when it comes to actually showing up, be, probably because of the way uh, there was a lot of swift repercussions around January 6th. People mm -hmm. know if they show up, like, your face, like, you, you, you're, you're pretty easily figured out. Like, you better really be out there with your chest saying it mm -hmm. and, and mean to be there. Otherwise, you will be counted, especially if it goes sideways and turns into some crazy radical uh, uh, disruption that you know, has to be kettled and contained and, and, and God knows what. Mm -hmm. But the point is, it's it's like, it's this anticipation, regard, like it has been said, they, they, will, they won't accept a result unless it's their result. Right. So that all over again, I think, has people really fired up, like you said. And this slow, plodding, easy does it, faith-filled, faith um, uh, disposition that the Democrats or that, that uh, members might be showing, it's real aw shucks and stuff, but I hope there's some teeth behind what they're actually um, implementing, what they're, what they're um, you know, raising and, mm -hmm. and inquiring and observing, because people, I think, will not be, um, are not too thrilled that this is even being given um, the credibility it is. Well, you know, I think those teeth are basically the system at work, uh, you know, like the, the, the justice system, which is not supposed to be run by any one party, you know, by any candidate or anything like that. Um, I think we're seeing that work and, 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 you know, to a degree, at least we're also seeing it being abused. So we have to keep a very close eye on that and make sure that, uh, you know, nobody gets away with um, wanton attacks on our very system on, on, on what we're all about and, um, you know, call people out for, uh, for, for spreading lies and, and attempting to uh, cause disruption at something as, as basic as an election. You know, it's the, this is one of the reasons why I, I, I kind of want Trump to be on the ballot because I really want him to be defeated. If we, if we throw him off the ballot before that, 
I just feel like he might get stronger as a result. And um, to do what? To raise hell with all those followers and cause even more mayhem. I mean, I, I, don't you think but there also, are enough people okay, to okay. defeat him, to actually right. defeat him? Right. I'm also, you know, I, but, but, I, I'll say this. I'm worried about Nikki Haley. If, if she were the candidate, I think it's possible she might beat Biden. And that, you know, we're just getting in through a different door into, uh, you know, more more right-wing craziness. There is some conundrum there. I yeah. think you're right. I think that's there's some, some uh, uh, tough navigating for the Democrats. But the... Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it that much as a threat. If if he wasn't on the ballot, but sure, whatever. You know, like let it play out. Let people rule and wield their power. It's, it's not that I'm afraid of what he'll do. It's it's that I want to see him lose. Oh, fully, decisively. It upsets me that there are so many people still willing to vote for this guy. I mean, I don't know what it's going to take. You know, we we just had this um this this border bill. You know, this this uh. uh Basically, Democrats and Republicans, they came together and um, came up with a bill at the request of Republicans, and a lot of it was caving into Republicans. Wasn't too happy with it. But well, let's soon, be real. They held a lot of stuff hostage. As, well, as soon as Trump, yeah, they did, with the Ukraine aid and all that. Yeah. But as soon as Trump said, no, derail this because I don't want Biden to have a win, because it'll be seen that way as him actually getting something done, he would rather torpedo that whole thing and uh, go into November saying Biden hasn't done anything. And people in, in Congress, they did what Trump said. It's disgusting. And now you see them on TV, and they're basically just, they, they did a 180. And now they're saying, oh, yeah, this bill has all kinds of problems. <laughs> they were they were praising it a week ago. You know, they were all in favor of this. They were getting what they wanted. But now because Trump issues a command saying, make sure this doesn't happen, they just bow down and do what he says. That is unhealthy. And, you know, if I saw that happening in the other party, I'd be calling that out as well. But, you know, you don't see that happen. You see the other extreme where people are constantly sniping at each other and um, allowing the other side to uh, to get great victories. But this just illustrates how much they're in his pocket. I don't know why. I guess they're just afraid of the electorate. They're afraid of, of what he can do and, you know, getting getting uh, primaried. So it's... Um, I hope they're all terrified. Of I hope they're afraid. They should be terrified of everybody else. All, you know? all around, in every way. I think that they... they the more nervous and um, anxious and foolish they act and... and, and um, I don't know. Their, their, their mistakes and um, uh, fealty, I think, will will. Be their own, their undoing. I, I, I just well, I there's it, a real, like you said, a real urge to see him lose. Yeah, I just I want the undoing to happen already. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's always on the horizon, and then it gets here. Uh, speaking of Nikki Haley, uh, she has requested Secret Service protection following an increase in threats. That's according to a campaign spokesperson. Um, the uh, request came after um, so-called swatting attacks. Uh, when people make false reports to law enforcement, the intent of provoking an emergency police response that uh, targeted her South Carolina home. You know, th this is awful, seeing things like this happen. But, you know, be honest here. Do you think these are Biden's people doing this? I don't think it's Biden's people. I really don't. I think it's Trump's people because that's their M.O. That's what they do. They threaten. 
They they leave all kinds of racist taunts on answering machines. They they send SWAT teams to your house. And this is what's happening because she won't back down and allow Trump just to you know get his his victory now as as Republican candidate. Uh, he takes great umbrage at that. And um, yeah, you know, I, I I just I cannot. I mean, sure, there's psychos everywhere. You can find somebody that supports Biden that's a complete lunatic. Sure, I just don't think there are as many. Am I am I wrong on that? I mean, it just it, I read a story like this. So, yeah, that's that, those are Trump's operatives at work there who are trying to intimidate her. Well, think of, I don't know, that's their, like, their, the language they they kind of use and, and like you said, M.O., or just the, the kind of politics they trade in. Mm-hmm. And we've come to expect. That's why it smells like that. It doesn't seem like something uh, that would come from the other camp. So... We and and we're desensitized to it and have been from that administration and the campaign running up to it and just the overall polarized tenor of of the cycles that have become just nauseating and apparent. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, fun times. All right, moving on. We have some uh, breaking local news. Um Frankie Floridia, shout out to him from Strong Island Animal Rescue, has rescued a deer from a pond in, or a pool actually, in Port Jefferson Station, right next door to us. Wait, you have, people haven't winterized their pools? Uh, I don't know what he's doing or in a pool. How did the pool, why is there... Well, the deer was in a pool <laughs> in Port Jefferson Station, um, and uh, it was in there for about 20 minutes. How'd they get him out there so fast? That's what I want to know. Um, the deer would have frozen to death. It wasn't saved. And uh, according to this News 12 report, the deer rested for a few minutes and then ran into the woods. Hopefully it was not hit by uh, a truck or something. Um, wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's breaking news right there. You know, rescue of a deer. Quick and, uh, thinking. It kind of annoys me, though, because, okay, yeah, I would have frozen it. Yeah, probably would have. But, um, you know, Nova Scotia, they got a meter of snow. A meter. Do you know how big a meter is? That's like three feet. You know, that's just the snow that fell on the ground. That's not the drifts and all that. I've seen entire houses buried. It's and and they're just a few hundred miles away. They're not that far. We have nothing, nothing here. Nova Scotia is getting all kinds of fun. It's not right. It's just not right. People talking about an early spring coming. Not ready for this. That's just talk. Don't listen to talk. I'm, I'm trying not to, Kyle. Trying no, not to. But this no. is February. This is prime snow those, month and nothing's are, happening. Those are people that listen to woodland creatures. That's It's wrong. Look, I'm not asking for what Nova Scotia got, okay? I, I, that's not what, I, uh, what I'm demanding here. Just, you know, something. Something on the ground that stays on the ground. It's cold. Yeah, it's cold. It's cold now, so why isn't it snowing now? Because as soon as it gets warm, it's going to start raining. I know that. Anyway. Um, okay, Frontier Airlines passenger pulled down her pants and squatted in the aisle when she wasn't allowed to use the bathroom during landing, affidavit says. That's the headline. What a long headline that is. Uh, that's from Business Insider. First of all, what does this have to do with business? <laughs> well, I think it has a I, lot well, okay, to do fine. with business. Okay, fine. Yeah, she's doing her business, but I don't think that's what Business Insider was, was founded for. Um, and again, why, why is it important in the headline to name the airline? I mean, is this something that a Delta passenger would not do? You know, a <laughs> Frontier Airlines passenger. Uh, okay, great. But what are you saying? That it's because of their particular rate structure that people are going to act like this? Um, apparently, the um, 
Uh, that is a little bit of a classist take, right? Because it's a budget or otherwise like discount air, airline. Uh, yeah. Well, she was told to sit down when she said she had to pee, uh, but the plane was landing, so she couldn't do that. And that's when this whole thing unfolded. You know, let's not I, give honestly, us any more time than it deserves. A lot of, a lot of crews, especially if you're just beginning descent, if someone is just finally gained access to a restroom and is themselves having an emergency uh, and needs to use the restroom, I think they're going to encourage you to just quickly take care of yourself and hold on to things and, and, and then, you know, seat yourself, but before the plane actually lands. You certainly can't be up while you're in the lavatory. Um, but I don't know. I mean, a lot of airlines, I think, would cut you a little bit of slack if there's some expedience to it and it's like that half hour before. No, the half hour before is one thing, but if you're actually descending, you can't cut people slack then and say, oh, yeah, no. just go, you know, don't do number two, but uh, let's make it quick. You know, I, I remember uh, one time uh, on a plane, that exact scenario played out, and, you know, th this woman was told to sit down, she said, but I have to go to the bathroom. Okay, so we're going to just go back up in the sky and circle around a few times till you finish, and then when everybody's ready, we're going to come down on, well, on, on the ground. No, it doesn't work that way. You're in an airplane. You're 40,000 feet above the ground. There are a lot of weird circumstances, though, that can occur in a confined space like that, limited access, uh -huh. uh, certain people yeah, abusing you, access. You know where that it. doesn't occur, Kyle? On a train. On a train, that does not happen. You can use the bathroom any damn time you want. Oh, that's an, an interesting observation. Much nicer bathrooms, a lot of them. There too. are more of them, but they can go, they can go awry on a train too. And any airline can have bad lavatories and and uh, you know, uh, well, just not enough uh, resources. I, I've for, never for the been, passengers I've never are, been enthusiastic about a, a, a restroom in a in an airplane. No, I've had good things to say about train bathrooms. You know, if they're yeah. especially big. Or, you know, if they have all kinds of extra features. But planes, no, it's always they squeeze you in and... Um, well, uh, they're in incredibly utilitarian. Yeah, they really are. It's get in and get out. Which I guess is what you want, but still. Okay, um, this is a very interesting story. I we, we don't have barely enough time to even get into it, but I suggest people read it because it's fascinating. It's from The Guardian. It's titled, CNN Staff Says Networks Pro-Israel Slant Amounts to Journalistic Malpractice. I'm sure The Guardian has already been accused of being anti-Semitic for even printing this article, uh, and I'm sure you'll be accused of it if you read it, but read it anyway, because it's important to have a critical eye towards these things. Uh, CNN is facing a backlash from its, from its own staff over editorial policies they say have led to a regurgitation of Israeli propaganda and the censoring of Palestinians, uh, Palestinian perspectives uh, in the network's coverage of the war in Gaza. It's pretty pretty simple... Um, uh, assessment there. Uh, journalists in CNN newsrooms in the U.S. and overseas say broadcasts have been skewed by management edicts and a story approval process that has resulted in highly partial coverage of the uh, Hamas massacre on October 7th and Israel's retaliatory attack on Gaza. Now, you know, no matter what, if you have an accusation like that, that broadcasts are being affected by management, what you can and cannot say, it doesn't matter what you're saying. You know, that in itself is an affront on journalism, all right, and must be confronted. Now, um, one CNN staffer, too afraid to be quoted, says the majority of news since the war began, regardless of how accurate the initial reporting, 
has been skewed by a systemic and institutional bias within the network toward Israel. Ultimately, CNN's coverage of the Israeli-Gaza war amounts to journalistic malpractice. Now, according to accounts from six CNN staffers in multiple newsrooms and more than a dozen internal memos and emails that are obtained by The Guardian, daily news decisions are shaped by a flow of directives from the CNN headquarters in Atlanta that have set strict guidelines on coverage. Why? Why, why do that? Why is that necessary? Strict guidelines on, on how to say certain things. These include tight restrictions on quoting Hamas and reporting other Palestinian perspectives, while um, Israeli government statements are taken at face value. You know, that alone, right there, and it's, there's paper proof of this. It's in memos. So we take the Israeli government, whatever they say goes, but Palestinian perspectives, or even Hamas, which, you know, basically they are still running things in many places, so somebody has to say what's going on, what got bombed today, or... Uh, you know, it's you have to listen to somebody from the other side. You know, find a better spokesperson if you don't believe them. But that's a challenge. Uh, in addition, every story on the conflict must be cleared by the Jerusalem Bureau before broadcast or publication. Now, come on, that is that is just wrong. There's this guy, um, uh, CEO Mark Thompson. Uh, basically started his job at CNN two days after the October 7th Hamas attack. Um, some staff have expressed concern about Thompson's willingness to withstand external attempts to influence coverage, uh, given that in a former role as the BBC's director general, he was accused of bowing to Israeli government pressure on a number of occasions, including a demand to remove one of the corporation's most prominent correspondents from her post in Jerusalem in 2005. I mean... How does the Israeli government have any say whatsoever? They shouldn't even have the phone numbers to call these people and tell them how to do their job. The CNN insiders say that has resulted, particularly in the early weeks of the war, in a greater focus on Israeli suffering and the Israeli narrative of the war as a hunt for Hamas and its tunnels, and an insufficient focus on the scale of Palestinian civilian deaths and destruction in Gaza. One journalist described the schism within the network over coverage, they said, was at times reminiscent of the cheerleading that followed 9-11. Many have been pushing for more content from Gaza to be alerted and aired. By the time these reports go through Jerusalem and make it to TV or the homepage, critical changes from the introduction of imprecise language to an ignorance of crucial, crucial stories ensure that nearly every report, no matter how damning, relieves Israel of any wrongdoing. Come on, we're better than this. You know, there is certainly a lot to report on here. There is certainly a lot of of, of um, horror that came from Hamas, and you know, a, a, a lot of Israeli victims. There is no question about that. But you can't simply cover up what has been going on for for hundreds of thousands, millions of innocent civilians who just find themselves with the wrong uh, birthplace, wrong ethnic background. You know, that's it. They've done nothing. They've done nothing, but we're getting close to 30,000 civilian deaths now. And we're supposed to remain silent about that? That's insane. You know, there was um, Holocaust Remembrance Day uh, a week or so ago. And um, you know, uh, there's a lot of coverage of that, as there, there should be. But one of the things I kept hearing being said was, it is such an insult to the memory of the people who perished in the Holocaust to be accusing Israel 
of genocide in trying to wipe out the Palestinian people, something that ministers in the Israeli government have actually uh, expressed support for, either uh, eliminating them completely or just driving them away completely. And, you know, how how is it an insult to accuse a government of of a horrible policy when they're engaged in war? The real insult, I think, to, to the memory of those people is to be representing them through a government that is accused of these horrible acts, of, of, of not caring about individual people. And we just, every day, every day, if you, if you read the papers, if you try and watch something other than American broadcasting, if you watch, say, Al Jazeera English, although they're, they're biased in another way, and uh, sometimes a bit much, but you do need the other perspective. If you watch BBC, if you watch Euronews, you watch these other outlets that are at least trying to get it right. You'll see that there's all kinds of hell going on every single day. And why don't we care? Why don't we care about these people who have done nothing? <laughs> you know, it's it, it's so upsetting to think that you might be playing a part in that by uh, your tax dollars, by voting for people who say ignorant things. And, you know, this in no way relieves Hamas of the responsibility they must bear for, um, for what they did. But there's a history here. There are a lot of bad things that have happened in that region. And clearly... Clearly, the way things are, it, it shows that it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And you can't just point the finger at one side, say, well, this is all Israel's fault, or this is all the Palestinians' fault. No. No, there's a lot of hell going on here. And um, the Israeli government, current Israeli government, which, uh, you know, Trump helped bolster, they do not care. They do not care about Palestinians. They do not care about a two-state solution. They are not interested in peace. That is clear. Listen to them. They will tell you that. But there are plenty of people in Israel who disagree. So many. And that's the hope. That's the hope that they'll get Netanyahu out of there. Because, you know, somebody like that is as responsible for all the death and bloodshed as anyone else. Because if you if you set up all the pieces, you know, you, you can't be surprised when it plays out the way it's designed to. When you shut Palestinians out of any talks, you know, when you um, kick them out of their neighborhoods and, and build illegal settlements, treat them like second and third class citizens, well, horrible as it might be, are you really surprised when people representing them do something barbaric and terrible. Yeah, be outraged. Don't be surprised. So, yeah, that's an interesting story in The Guardian. Any any thoughts from you, Kyle, on that? Or? Well, I mean, <laughs> there's uh, hardly enough time to actually no, there is. get sorry. really much of my opinion in, but I definitely um, share some of that uh, insight and... and uh, Totally. It's it's the um, I don't know CNN CNN who I mean I, I just ha it's been v honestly very 
it, it's difficult to watch. They have, you have, but they have really good reporters. If you have, um, if you have other sources, if there are outlets that you're um, able to compare it to, it's really difficult to watch and has been for very um, for the the entirety of this. I, I would just point out that the uh, comparison to 9/11 early on, boy, in every way, is is all I can say about that. Uh, looking back, they're getting as much 9/11 treatment in the media and. In all regards, it's it's resembling it just as uh, we were so keen to um, to compare it to, even though it's distinct. It's it's not the same thing, but there are a lot of um, there's a lot of that rallying, and I think even some of those ministers you mentioned were doing a lot of that to rally the troops to literally be ready to invade. That be for, should it be forgiven or should we look past? No, no, and uh, I just want to thank and be grateful or shout out the uh, organizations that do provide alternatives Mm -hmm. and have filled in, basically picked up slack. And I do mean slack that um, that void over there at CNN has been in the information sphere. Well, you know, I I look at it as they're speaking out against it, and that's a good thing. You know, when reporters speak up, listen to them. Like I said, they have good reporters there. They really do. They need to do their job. They need to be allowed to do their job. They all do on every organization. So let's uh, let's support them, and uh, let's also support people that are, you know, clamoring for justice. I mean, look, I'm all for Hamas paying the ultimate price for for the horrors that they've not only inflicted upon Israeli people, but against Palestinian people as well. But you know, if if the only way to reach them is to kill tens of thousands of innocent people, then you're not reaching them the right way. You're doing a terrible job, and you should stop immediately and be held accountable for what you've done. And that's something that Israeli government doesn't seem to think they're ever accountable. We need to prove them wrong on that. All right, we're out of time. If you would like to write in with your thoughts and feelings, in all caps if necessary, otw at 2600.com is our email address. Interesting times lie ahead, and uh, we're certainly going to be around here at WUSB to um, discuss them, to give people whatever viewpoints they wish to express as well. Yeah, and I would just say, try not to hurt others. Try. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Yeah, you know what? Know that you, you're you listened to. You're you're heard. You are. Uh, you, know, you might think you're not heard. You might think you're another cog in the in the wheel. Is that what cogs are? Uh, a part of the machine, but uh, at least here on WUSB, we hear you. We do. Good night.